Good evening. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Tonight's uh, class has not yet been dedicated. Anybody that would like to dedicate tonight's awesome, tonight is a very powerful night, as we shall discuss soon. Uh, if you want to sponsor the special class, you can retroactively grab this great, awesome merit. Um, then you can judge if you like the class by the end of the class and you want this list, then go ahead. Thank you in advance for, for whoever that will be. Okay, so um, this week we won't address particularly the Parsha. I do want to talk about something really, really, really powerful. Uh, at least it's mind-blowing to me. I don't know, I hope it will be to you as well. And that um, tonight or today was the 22nd day of the month of Shvat. Uh, being the 22nd day of the month of Shvat, it's a day. It's a day that uh, seems to be just very much business as usual. Nothing earth-shattering took place in the world. Um, just a regular day. Another day that has passed and we're waiting for Mashiach. But just a, a day, an ordinary day. Who's tuned in to the world of Hasidus, particularly to the world of Chabad. Hasidus know that the 22nd day of Shvat is a very auspicious day on the Chabad calendar. And that is because it is the yard site. <coughs> this year was the 35th yard site of the Lubavitcher Rebetz and Chaya Mushka. Uh, she passed away in the year 1988, Tavshim Ches, on the 22nd day of Shvat. Now, being that Hasidim across the world um, see and connect uh, to the Rebbe very much not just as a, a a mentor and a teacher and a guide and an inspiration, but also as a father. The Rebbe is like a fatherly figure. In that sense, the Rebbe is the mother. And because of that, people feel very much like it's a very personal. It's like a personal yard site that someone has commemorating the yard site of their own mother. To further endorse or validate this point, uh, Saturday, Matzah Shabbos, we had a Malava Malk over here at Mayan, commemorating the yard site of a great tzaddik, Reb David of Lelev, which was a few weeks ago, but we had this beautiful Malava Malka. You can um, enjoy that the stories, amazing stories that we discussed um, on the lives of tzaddikim. It was the last recording we had. Um, over there, I invited a guest to tell over a personal story. Rabbi, uh, I think his name is Rabbi Holtzberg or Rabbi Holtzman. Forgot that this moment, Holtz, maybe Holtz, I think Holtzman. Anyways, uh, he related as follows, a personal story happened to him. His father was a attendant of the Rebbe. His father would attend uh, as a, in the early years, in 1950, his father was a personal attendant in the Rebbe's house. Then he, he got married, or I'm not sure when he was an attendant, when he was already married, or he's still no single, whatever, but then he lived in Belgium. From Belgium, he would come in from time to time to uh, to, to, to Crown Heights. As a chassid, would come to the Rebbe for the holiday, especially. Chassidim would travel uh, every year, especially for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. It was the highlight of the time to be uh, in the Rebbe's, uh, close in the Rebbe's court. So um, this Rabbi Holtzman related that he was a boy. He came with his family. He was seven years old. He would visit, uh, and and it did because they've had a relationship with the, the family because his father was working there. He felt a connection to the Rebbitzin. 
So um, he said only when the Rebbe wasn't home, the family would go visit the Rebbe. Because when the Rebbe was home, everybody knew no one wanted to disturb the time, the little bit of time the Rebbe spends with the Rebbe, and no one ever wanted to disturb that time. But otherwise, the Rebbe spent non hours and hours and hours working, teaching, living, you know, uh, uh, taking care of the of the needs of the of the of the concerns of the Jewish people across the world all the time in 770 back in the Rebbe's house on President Street um, they would go visit the Rebbe's he said in one Tishrei they could visit four times once before Rosh Hashanah to get her blessings and to bless her for a good year once before Yom Kippur to get special lekach in other words a piece of cake or a sweet year which is a which is a, a minig to receive before Yom Kippur and then during Sukkot they would go visit a third time and the Halamoid Sukkot which is the intermediate days of Sukkot and then finally at the uh, after the holidays they're on their way home so he says according to what he remembers this happened um when he was when they were after the Sukkot and they were ready to go home in the early 1970s okay not sure exactly which year he was seven years old and he relates as follows um he, he came to the house and he, the house was a you know, pretty nice house with three floors and there were quite a few rooms as we all know the Rebbe and the Rebbe didn't have any children but he didn't know that so he sees all these rooms so he figured there must be children so he wanted to play with the children so he asked the Rebbe where are your children and obviously it's a very sensitive question but you know little kids they're just up in front and, and straight you know they ask what they see so he says I was usually and my mother would always try to get me to be a mensch in this case when I asked the question my mother kicked me under the table like what are you doing and I couldn't figure that out I'm being so polite I'm being such a mensch <laughs> that's funny when he related he didn't tell this for uh, I think uh, uh, when he related it on, on the Matzah Shabbos, but he told it to me privately. He said, I couldn't figure out what my mother wants from me. I, I thought I was so good. In any case, um, the, Rebetzin, the Rebetzin said to him, um, were, in Yiddish, in 770, were you in 770? She said in a very respectful way, like she's speaking to a, an elderly person. In Yiddish, when you speak to a dignified person, you say, ear. Here is a, it's like you're speaking to one person, but as if you're speaking to many people. That's just a more dignified, respectful way you speak to a rabbi or something like that. So, but she spoke that way even to a child. Here is Ent Given in 770, were you in 770, which is, of course, the Rebbe Shul. And he said, Yeah. She said, You know, Gizan mentioned art. Did you see people there? And he says, Yeah. So she says, Dia mentioned that are in 770, the people that are in 770. Does that in unzere kinder? These are our children, and he he didn't understand. It's a seven-year-old boy, so he didn't get it. And he's like wondering. He says, and he said to Asach "There's a lot of people there. Not about the hundreds, thousands of people come." He's like confused. I mean, he, you know, kids take things very literally, and the kid took it. Yeah, this is like he, he was like thought it's strange. So his mother interjected. The boy's mother interjected and said. If the Rebetzin says so, so it is. Don't question. The Rebetzin says so, so it is. And the Rebetzin shook with him. So that's the way the Rebbe and Rebetzin saw all the Hasidim as their personal children. 
I think it extended to more than Hasidim. I think it was all of the Jewish people were their personal children. In that sense, it's a yard site of a matriarch of the Jewish people. It's a grand yard site. So it's a big day. But what I would like to do today is make the day, if it could be bigger, bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and spectacularly big. In the sense that what? Now, I would not be able to say this on my own, but I will just repeat and probably use my words to describe what the Rebbe himself said four years after his wife's passing on a talk that he gave, a combination of talks, but part of it was spoken on the 22nd of Shvat. This was a month before the Rebbe stroke. Over there, the Rebbe like blew the cover and revealed like the most awesome secrets and the deepest, deepest teachings of Hasidus. And what is so unbelievable is that the Rebbe in these talks basically, you know, maps out the purpose and the entire progress, the progress of the cosmos reaching their final destination, reaching their final state, uh, purpose of creation. And he discusses how it works in stages. Like Hasidus always talks about, that there are certain progresses made. We're given a task. The task is to learn Torah and do mitzvahs and to make the world holy. But then the question is, when does the world become fully holy? Holiness means the world becomes suited for God to live in the world. Hashem to manifest and reveal himself in the world. It's not a thing that happens in a day. It's an accumulation of actions of thousands of years of Torah and mitzvahs until we achieve the ultimate and our world becomes godlier than heaven. That's the ultimate objective. It becomes the personal dwelling place of Hashem himself, not Hashem's light, not Hashem's radiance. Just God's very essence dwells in this world. And this world becomes so awesomely holy and godly and so incredibly uh, the place to be that all the souls that are already in heaven for thousands of years race back to earth to reincarnate in bodies because heaven is considered peanuts in comparison to the holiness and the, the greatness of being alive in the physical earth. So the Rebbe, what's very, very fascinating about this talk, it's not just this talk, it's a series of three, four talks, which builds up to this, is the Rebbe basically talks about these levels of progression and explaining very deep Hasidic concepts, but he interweaves it or interweaves it, if you can say, and interlaces it into his own life, his birth and events that happened in his own life, the dates regarding himself when he was born, regarding the day that, the, that he assumes the, the, the mantle of leadership of Chabad. And what's amazing is that he discusses the pinnacle of it all, the day of his wife's passing. Now, we have to understand something. The Rebbe had hundreds of thousands of admirers, of followers, of people that would do anything for him. But yet no one could could the Rebbe be up and personal with in a very, very intimate, inner, deep way? Because the Rebbe, as we said earlier, didn't have family. Um, no one. He had one person, and that was his wife. So the passing of the Rebbe is, was, the, 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 we, can't, we can't even imagine how deep, how deep of a, of a, of a heartbreak, 
how deep of an utter, utter complete shattering of, of, of the Rebbe's heart that his wife, that his beloved wife um, passed away. Um, yet, I don't, had he not been a Rebbe and someone of such stature, you know, obviously something like this can break him. But the Rebbe just only became so much more vibrant, if you can say, and his energy level shot through the roof after his wife passed away. Uh, and primarily those who know and follow the Rebbe's ways see that at that point, the Rebbe put the, the pedal to the metal and went full throttle Mashiach. That's what happened. But we didn't really understand what's the significance, what's the spiritual significance that's driving that extraordinary motivation. For instance, until the Rebbe passed away, the Rebbe would hold a talk once a month on Shabbos Mavarchim. The Rebbe would spend hours sitting and teaching and talking and talking. But it was once a month. It was the Shabbos before the new month. Once the Rebbe passed away, the Rebbe changed the order and he would join for a Fabrengen for hours on end every Shabbos. Now, the amount of energy that it takes to teach and to inspire and to bring forth the deepest mysteries, the deepest teachings and inspire. And, and the Rebbe is already, you know, and is at this point in his high 80s. So that all those last four years that, that the Rebbe was still engaging and talking, that was before his stroke, after his wife departed, uh, there was so much more energy in that sense. And many things changed during that time. But in the content, as much as the Rebbe yearned for Mashiach and spoke of the imminent arrival of Mashiach, when it came after, if from, from when his wife passed, it was on a complete different scale. So on this talk is where he gives insight into the cosmic effect of that day of the 22nd day of Shvat, the day of his wife, Siyarta, um, which is really, really like, you have to really learn it and learn it well. And, 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 and it takes a while to be able to like settle with this because one would wonder why he's giving such enormous significance. It, it, it's like, as we're gonna see soon, he, 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 the Rebbe is, is conveying that this, the ultimate state of the spiritual dynamics of the godly infusion that it takes to redeem the entire world was injected and infused on that day. In other words, that's when we hit the pinnacle. He discusses a lead up, but that's when he says on that day, we went into the ultimate state of redemption. Now, you're gonna ask a question, now it's 35 years later, we don't yet see redemption. So one has to recognize and understand that there is the inner realm of redemption and then there is the manifestation and external, its manifestation and application on the most external outer level of existence. Sometimes many energies are downloaded into the world, but we don't see yet their full manifestation only for a while later. That happens in all prophecies. A prophet, a prophet receives a certain download. God downloads certain truths and certain things but you don't see them being fulfilled or actualized till a pretty time later. And that's what we see. So for example, Moshe receives God's charge, go redeem the people. And Hashem gives him the, 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 the secret code that will unlock the, and break the chains 
of exile, he gives him the secret code, which is I have remembered. In a sense, when once God said that to Moshe, he channeled into Moshe's neshama the power to redeem the Jewish people. But in actuality, it only happened a year later. So what happened during the year? Moshe was imbued with the redemptive energy, but it has not yet entered the world, at least not on the most external level. So that was the, the plagues and so on and so forth. From the Rebbe's talk, it would imply that everything that's necessary in terms of spiritual infusion and energy had already entered the world in 1988 and related to the 22nd day of Shvat. And it's interesting, the Rebbe doesn't necessarily only attribute it to his wife because she's a special woman. He attributes it to the Jewish women in general. Now, the reason he says that we hit the highest note, we hit the peak of the peak, is because the redemption is going to be driven by the women. Since the women are the ones who are going to drive the redemption, so the leader of the Jewish women, when her, when she reaches the pinnacle of her existence, of her energy, representing the energy of all the Jewish women, so this is a very powerful feminine day. It's a very powerful day for the Jewish women. Uh, it's very interesting how you see by the Rebbe, you see that... You, Stunning. You see that entire his entire existence is all prophetic. It's all it's all godly. Why? You know, the Rebbe in 1942 or 1941 published a book. In the book, he gives a little it's a short little Hasidic um, inspiration, a little little thought daily. And it goes through all kinds of things. Sometimes it's a Hasidic custom. It's a Hasidic saying. Sometimes it relates to businessmen. Sometimes it relates to this type, to prayer, to love a fellow Jew, and so on and so forth. If you go through the book, you see that literally it's all prophecy. Because, for example, Gimel Tamos, which is the harsh day in the Chabad, the day that, at least for the time being, we don't physically see any more the Rebbe at that, from Gimel Tamos. What is the insert for that day? The Rebbe is talking about the significance and the power of a sigh, of a deep krecht, the day of a sigh. Turns out that on that day comes out the, 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 the deepest krecht, that we all krechts, we all give a deep sigh, like what's going to be? Like we're waiting for the giyula, we thought we're waiting, the Rebbe is going to you know, punch through, and meanwhile we're still in exile. So all the time we sigh on that day. On the day that was to be, 40 years later, his wife's, more than 40 years later, his wife's passing, he speaks about the, the importance of Jewish women and their influence and their activism for the world. How Jewish women have to stand at the forefront in strengthening Judaism everywhere in the world. Suddenly, that's the day that he dedicates to the Jewish women, especially to the Chabad women. And that's the day that his wife, the Rebetzin, the leader of within the Chabad movement the leader of the women the captain of the women she reaches she she passed away which passing away we know is reaching the pinnacle in spirit of spiritual service so you see everything is prophetic um so in this case the 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 uh the rebbe uh, um, attributes the significance of that day and the power and its enormous spiritual infusion that it brought into the entire world, Ga'ul infusion, he attributes it to 
the significance of women. And he says like this, um, we know what the sages tell us that in the merit of the women in Egypt, the Jewish women, the Jewish people went out of Mitzrayim. In the merit of the Jewish women, it was in the merit of the women. The men would not have would not have brought the redemption. In the merit of the righteous Jewish women of Egypt, the the uh, amount we and then he, and the Medrash says so. It will be at the time of the redemption. It will be the women that will push us over the top. The Rebbe adds to that a teaching of the Holy Ari. The Arizal, the great Kabbalist, the Holy Ari, says that actually the generation that's going to go out of exile now is the same generation that went out of Egypt. We are an incarnation of that generation. So if we are the incarnation, so the women that are alive today are those women. So then in that case, they did it once, they're going to do it again. That's the idea. But here is the most, here is the idea, and I'm going to do it very briefly. I would highly recommend if you have a chance to read it. It's printed in English. The discourse, it's, it's the talks that was given on Chav Beishvat in the year 5752. We have a name for it. It's called the Dvar Malthus, which means the word, the royal word. It's the, all the talks that were given in the year 5752 which is corresponds to the year 19, from 1991, from Passover, from Pesach, 1991, until Chav Zayin Adar, 1992. It's those amazing talks that were given. I think that in those talks, the Rebbe reviews all of Hasidic literature. That's the way it comes to me. And he basically everything is in those talks, but the Rebbe opens up depth there that, that for me, it blows me away. I give a class in it, by the way, these talks, once a week, not on this channel, because it's a Hebrew class, and I give it to on a Zoom to Israel. It, uh, I'm frustrated that the fellow who has it all recorded, I always tell him, put it on YouTube, put it on YouTube, at least the people that speak Hebrew can listen. I've been doing this class for three years. Every year it blows my mind as I go over again the talks. So, but this particular, this, this particular talk is over the top. So what does he say? Let's, 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 let's do it very brief. The talk is basically um, based on the significance of number 10 and number 11, okay? That's the basis of the talk. Primarily, the importance of number 11 in the, in the redemptive process. Um, within that concept of number 11, he explains the significance, and, and, again, he, and it begins from the beginning of the Jewish people. He starts pointing to events and occurrences and happening from the going out of Egypt to the receiving of the Torah, in which he highlights the numbers 11 very much, 10 and 11, as we're going to see. And then he brings it all together in relationship to his father-in-law, the sixth Chabad Rebbe, who passes away on the 10th day of Shvat. Then the Rebbe picks up after that, and he refers to himself. But in his talks, when he talks about himself, he talks very like, he doesn't say I, he never says I. He talks about the continuation of his father-in-law's leader, uh, um, 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 uh, leadership, uh, but after his passing, which obviously he's referring to himself through kind of his student or his continuation. 
that's where he, he talks about. And that is, over there he talks about the significance of that happening very much relating to number 11, as we should so see. And then he talks about his wife's passing, in which his wife's yard site, in continuation to all of that, happens on the 22nd day of the month of Shvat, which the month of Shvat itself is the 11th month. But the 22nd day is two times 11. It's double 11. So what the Rebbe really does in this amazing talk is that how he, he reveals to us the secret of number 11, how the secret of number 11 is the secret of the redemption. He talks that there are two levels in number 11, a more external level of number 11, and then there is the deeper inner core of number 11, which is represented only in double 11. And he explains how only in the passing of his wife in 1988, from that moment on, we started tapping the energy of double 11. And once we touch the energy of double 11, we have all the spiritual dynamics to have the full redemption and the world to be in perfect harmonious oneness with God. So let's do a little explanation on what that means. So we start as follows. The purpose of creation as discussed so many times in this class, and we're gonna do this very briefly. The purpose of creation that we've discussed in many times is the fusion of Hashem and the world, bringing God down to this world. But when we say bringing God down to this world, we mean bringing God down from God, from God's highest and deepest, most, if you might say, most potent, most essential self. In other words, without any, any, any diluting, without any weakening of God's truth and God's being, God coming into this world with his full and complete power and self, without any restriction or containment or constriction of self. So the idea over here is touching God in as far as God is God and pulling him from his essence. And then when we speak about the world, we mean touching, touching, touching and bringing it down, not just to, the, to some level in creation, to some world, to some vessel and to some container, which that itself would be absolutely incredible and impossible even to imagine that God's essence can go into a container, any container. Let it be the most loftiest, <clears throat> most spiritual, most refined container. But that's not what we're talking. We're talking about bringing him down into the physical, within the physical, into the lowest places of the physical. In other words, bringing God's essence down everywhere. All the way down, 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 down to you can't go any low. So basically, what are you bridging? The highest of the high and the lowest of the low. But just like when we spoke about the highest of the high, the highest of the high needs to be tapped and drawn down as it is without it needing to diminish itself, without it needing to weaken itself. So it is the lowest of the low has to be able to receive and become a vessel to the highest of the high without it needing to dissolve itself or to run away from itself. It has to be able to sit perfectly comfortable as it is and as we are in our containers and in our vessels without hyperventilating, 
without us, be without our hearts like skipping, racing out of our, no, without doing that. But as we sit calmly and we are totally relaxed, without having to flinch our muscles, kind of, just to be with perfect presence and, dwe and dwelling within our containers, we can receive the essence of essence. So we don't either have to move in the sense and kind of um, pass out to receive him. We can receive him in our bodies. Now, what do I mean by that? <coughs> God once came down to this world, and that was by the giving of the Torah. We received him. But, but when we received him, when we physical beings had an encounter with God, we all, our souls escaped the body. In other words, our vessels just shut down. We rose outside of our vessels to receive him. And that was frustrating to God. I mean, it was part of the procedure. He didn't want that. He wants us to be able to sit comfortably in who we are and what we are, and as we are, to receive him. Not to dissolve and lose and, 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 and escape in order to, not for us to have an, a, what we call an outer body experience in order to experience him. We have to be able to receive him in our bodies within our containers. Now, all of this is absolutely impossible, but that's the magic of the divine, is that the divine can do the impossible. And God charges us by giving us a, a holy soul that we are empowering us with his essential power for us to be able to bridge that gap, unify the infinite and the finite. Now, that unification of the infinite and the finite in perfect harmony is a unification of 10 and 11. 10 represents the creation. When God created the world, the Mishnah tells us in 10 utterances, God created the world. With 10 utterances. Now, 10 is a very perfect number. Count, you count till you get to 10, and then you start over again. And 10 is the perfect number. Physically, the 10, the structure of creating our world with 10, there are 10 powers in our body, in our soul. And that is because the system within the sephiro, the attributes, which is like the what we might say is the, the bedrock of our existence, the fundamental attributes of the divine, which, which is kind of the underlying design of the cosmos, is also, is ten, there are ten, everybody knows there are 10 sephiro, 10 attributes. So the system is a system of 10. What's the significance of number 11? The significance of number 11 is that it is the divine prior to God descending into a system. Meaning God's purest light, pre-attributes, before it becomes, once it's going into attributes, it's already diminished. So 11 means the full potency of the infinite light of God. Let's put it into count for those who study with our classes. You'll be familiar. The element then of number 11 is the concept of the crown, Keter. Just like a crown sits above the head, a crown is not part of your head. The crown goes on top of the king's head. So too, if God is the king, so the 10 attributes of the divine, that would be his body. And the crown, we learned about this on Thursday night, and the crown is not part of the body, it's above the body. 
And therefore, because it's above, when we say above the body, we mean above the entire system, the spiritual system, the origins of the origins of the origins of the entire cosmic order. It's all part of the system of 10. Beyond that system is number 11. So 11 represents really the singular being that is above it all. In a sense, we shouldn't even call it 11 because it's not 11. It's one. It's prior to God's descending into 10. Why do we call it 11? Because it's God's dream that his infinite oneness, his transcendental infinity and boundlessness of self should permeate all the 10. And then he will join. In other words, just like when you put a crown on a head, even though the crown is way above and it's not attached to the head, the point of it is that it should sit on the head and it should beautify the 10. So what God wants over here is that his infinity should beautify the system, fill the system, fill the worlds with his infinite light. And how do we draw the crown down into this world? How do we draw this infinite light? Through the Torah and the mitzvot that originate in the crown. Where do we see that the Torah and mitzvot originate in the crown? Because how many mitzvot are there? 613 commandments. When you add to the 613 commandments, you add seven, you end up with 620. So altogether, six and 620 is the numeric value of the Hebrew word for crown, which is keter. Keter is crown. So through the 620 commandments, we draw down God as he truly is, unfiltered, indiminished, unlimited, and we bring him down Two things are accomplished through the mitzvot. Number one, the infinite is channeled downward here because these mitzvahs are his infinite will. So when we fulfill them, we're drawing his will. He and his will are completely one. The mitzvahs are not only his will, the mitzvahs are his inner pleasure. So when we're doing the mitzvah, we are fulfilling what is pleasurable to him. So we are drawing his inner core, which is he and his pleasure, are one. We're drawing that down, down, down into our world. But there is another very, very important function of the mitzvah. The mitzvahs are not only addressing the infinite. The mitzvahs are not only addressing the infinite. The mitzvahs are also addressing the finite. Why? Because on the one hand, whose commandment is it? It's the commandment and the will and the pleasure of an infinite being, of an unfathomable infinite being. But what is the commandment? Every commandment of the Torah is a specific physical action involving physical materials of the world. Very, very, very much highlighted this week in the Torah portion when the Torah becomes very technical, legal, and physical. Those who are studying Chumash this week, Parshas Mishpatim, find the Torah being a code of law, legislating and governing the conduct of civil life, of how to be a mensch, and so on and so forth, but with godly instruction. So the mitzvahs, they're talking about your donkey and about your cow and monetary responsibilities, not that no damages should come to someone. Very, very earthy, very, very physical, yet it's the next Torah portion right after the flaming inferno of, of sinai the greatest spectacular fireworks of divine light which we're sitting there we're watching this most spectacular firework show ever this is like god's revelation and then what do we read we're barely the next parsha 
And suddenly we're back, we're, we're in law school discussing technical, intricate details of disputes that can happen between people and liabilities that you have for your for your for your that. So that shows the magic of Torah. It's it's like infinite, it's like a penny on two sides of the coin. On one side, it's infinite, boundless, has no restriction, no constriction, no limitation, absolutely incomprehensible and unknowable. And on the other side, it's the physical action with that you do with your physical body. A penny in a tzedakah box is is the is the is the action you're doing. You're serving a tea to your mother. You're you're you're, you're at this moment fulfilling the deepest will of the in, infinite, and you're channeling the infinite into a physical action. And what is it doing? What is the Torah doing with the physical? What the Torah is doing with the physical is that it's strengthening the physical to be able to receive the infinite while it's being comfortable and in its place. Without it needing to bust, bring in infinite energy into anything, it will crash. It will, it will be destroyed. Put a little bit more voltage into a light bulb and you're going you're gonna to blow the circuit. You're going to blow the bulb. And over here, you're drawing infinite energy. And yet, nothing is being blown away. By doing the mitzvahs, we actually we, 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 we solidify, intensify the vessels, and we draw the light. What we are inherently doing is we're unifying 11 and 10. That's the idea. 10 is the system. 11 is the infinite. Causing this unification of 11 and 10 is that, is that now. All this could be seen by the giving of the Torah. When God gave us the Torah, what we notice when God gives us the Torah is the 10 element of the Torah, the vessel element. Why? Because the what did God say when he gave us the Torah? Number one, when we read the commandments, even at the 10 commandments, which is like the most fiery, spectacular divine revelation. But when you're reading it in the Torah and you don't see the fireworks, you're just reading the Chumash, you're seeing just... A guide to physical life in accordance to God's will. That's what you're seeing. Honor your parents. Keep the Shabbos. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. Don't. Yeah. So just very physical. How many commandments are there? Ten commandments. Yeah, so it's ten commandments. But, 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 but you got to right away say, hold it, hold it, hold it. I see the ten, but where's the eleven? There's got to be the eleven. Come on, don't stop there. How many words are there in the Ten Commandments? 620 words? 620 is Keter, is the crown. So it's, 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 it's there. The 11th dimension, the infinite, it's there. Actually, the 11th dimension, which is the truth of the Torah, the infinity of God, the energy, not the body, the 10 is the body. The soul of the Torah is number 11. That's the first word that God says when he gives us the Torah. He says, Anochi, I am. When God says, I am, that I, that's the crown. Because after that, God is already giving himself a name. Hashem. Anochi Hashem. Hashem is already the tetragrammaton, the yud kei vav kei, 
represents the ten sefirot. The yud is the chachma, the first of the ten sefirot. The hay is the bina. The vav of the six, the, the six emotional attributes. The hay is the malchut. You're dealing already with the system. From the second word and onward, it's the system. But what is the first word? Anochi, I am. And what does Anochi stand for? The sages say that the word Anochi is an acronym. It stands for the word, it puts together four words. Aleph stands for Ana, I. The Nun of Anochi stands for Nafshi, my soul. The Chaf from the word Anochi stands for Kesavis. And the Yud from the word Anochi stands for the word Yahavis, which means, translated in English, I, my very soul, I have inscribed myself and I have transmitted. What does that mean? God is saying, I, as much as I am I, that's why he emphasizes, nafshi, my inner soul, not my external, not my external form, my, the way I present myself to the world. No, I, as much as I am I, from my deepest core, nafshi, my very soul, Ksavis, I have written Yahavis and I have transmitted myself. That's number 11. That's the infinite that's coming through the Torah. Now we have to realize, when we study Torah, where do we touch the 10 and where do we touch the 11? So you have to understand, if Torah is all about communicating number 11, why are there 10 commandments? The answer is it's not just about revealing 11. It's about connecting 11 to the world. The whole point over here is not just revelation of 11. God can turn on and suddenly reveal himself and, and, and there would be no world. It would just be him and everything would dissolve in his infinite light. That's not the purpose. The purpose is that the 11 should reveal itself in the 10 while the 10 is still 10. Not when the 10 becomes 11, while the 10 remains 10, while we remain in our system, while we remain very much human, while we remain very much physical beings, we receive the 11. So the Torah itself has to have the 11 and the 10 in it. The 10 element of the Torah is what enables us that it should enter our system. The 11th, the invisible element of it, that's the energy, that's the soul. The Torah itself being the bridge between God and the world has to have a soul and a body. The 10 of the Torah, the 10 commandments of the Torah is, is, the, is, is, the, is, the, is, the, is the body of the Torah. The soul of the Torah is the number 11th. And that's the, oh, so practically, practically we have to realize like this. When I learn the Torah, the part of the Torah that I understand, that which makes sense to me, the logic, the reasoning, the, 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 what is graspable in it, that's the 10. That's God sharing with us his mind, his personality traits, his sensitivities. When you learn a lot of Torah, you become sensitive to what God is sensitive to. You recognize you have compassion for the poor, to the destitute, the, because it brings a certain refinement. God communicates to us his characteristics. Now, but God's characteristics are part of the 10. It's not the 11. 11th is God as it's beyond all characteristics. So when you're studying the Torah, what you comprehend, what you understand is all part of the 10. 
It's very important because it's strengthening you and making you into a vessel. It's, it's, oh, let, let me add one more point. What else was made with 10? The world was made with 10 utterances. So when we study the Torah and apply the Torah, which are the 10 commandments to a world that was created in 10 utterances, what that does is the 10 commandments is infused in the 10 utterances, which the 10 utterances include within it every facet of creation, everything from stones to trees, to rocks, to fish, to plants, to people, every single element in existence is all coming from those 10 utterances. When you imbue the 10 commandments and the 10 utterances, you make that the, the world created by the 10 utterances is now refined by the Ten Commandments and as a result of that is now a, a vessel to receive the energy of what is infinitely beyond it, which is the crown, which is the Kester, which is number 11. So it's really, really cool. It's that, that that's what we do. But we have to be sensitive to the fact that when we study Torah and do a mitzvah, we have two, two opposite feelings. Number one is we have to understand it, or we have to allow the mitzvahs to refine us, to make us into a more of a mensch, to bring out a certain purification within us. But at the same time, we have to also recognize when we learn Torah that we're engaging in something transcendental, in something holy. So the moment we think that we get it, that we got it, then we're off, then we lose it. It just always has to be that sense of mystery. That sense of like how fortunate, how lucky, how unbelievably incredible. That, that's the joy. We started about this Thursday night. That's where the joy of the mitzvah is because you're suddenly overwhelmed by the magnitude of what you're doing. You might be doing a small physical act, but you can't. You go out and dance a kazatska because you can't contain yourself because of the magnitude of what's going on. This is awesome. This is infinite. So that's related to what we call the holiness of the Torah. There is the Torah, and there is the holiness of it. The holiness is the magic of it, the beyond your grasp. That's number 11, what transcends our minds and our understanding. Now, as we study Torah throughout all of history, the Rebbe says, here's this amazing thought, we are mostly engaging the Torah on number 10. Because that's what we're about. that's what we're learning, that's what we're feeling, that's what we're touching. That's what we're conscious of. Number 11 is slipping in into our subconscious. 11 is coming in on a very, very deep level, but we're not conscious of it. We're unaware of it. Had we been aware of it, we would have literally gone crazy. So we can't. Till we're ready to receive it without going crazy, it has to like slip in kind of like in the back of our consciousness on a very deep level. It goes into us, but we're not conscious of it. So primarily, what do we study and what do we do? Mainly the 10 of the Torah. And that's the Torah that we study today. When will number 11 of the Torah open itself up to us? When will we start experiencing the 11th dimension of the Torah? The Torah in its infinite value, the Torah in its infinite brightness, the infinite exhilaration, the infinite joy, the infinite pleasure and ecstasy and bliss of, 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 of the 
which, which it comes from the infinite light of the Torah, the true godliness of the Torah, the crown dimension of the Torah. When will that happen? That will happen when Mashiach comes. That's going to be the great novelty of Mashiach's Torah. When Mashiach will start teaching Torah, Mashiach will teach Torah from the 11th dimension. And that's why the, the Midrash tells us the Torah that a person studies our days is considered foolish compared to the Torah that Mashiach will teach. That means take the entire Torah, everything that everybody ever taught, including the Zohar, the thing, and all the brilliant, brilliant, you know how much there's such brilliance in Torah. It will all be considered foolish in compared to when Mashiach will teach Torah. What kind of light we will experience in that Torah? We will learn the Torah on a dimension that we can't even begin to imagine today. That's number 11 that will be revealed in the Torah. Based on all of this, the Rebbe says, as we start getting closer and closer and closer to Mashiach, we can start sensing already the power of number 11. Number 11 really is the infinite light of God. And therefore, Judaism is infused with a certain infinite energy. And the Rebbe says, let me tell you where and where you can see that. He says that my father-in-law, the sixth Chabad Rebbe, his job was to be the one who actually closes and completes the work that the Jewish people had to do throughout the entire exile. The main work was the purification of the world. So the main work was done in the system. Within number 10, the main work was being done in number 10, which means within the system, not outside of the system. As we said, there's two parts to Torah. You're tapping this infinite energy, but you're also refining and purifying your own human qualities to be able to and the and the and the and the time and space and all of this needs to be able to receive the timelessness of God, the infinity of God. So for that to happen, the universe to become infinite, the universe has to first go through a purification. That purification, as we said, is it reaches its completion. He says in my father-in-law's work, the sixth Rebbe, and he says a little allude. What is it alluded to? He says, you take a look at my father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, you see that everything about him was number 10. His first name was Yosef and his second name was Yitzchak, which both those names start with the letter Yud. Starts, Yosef starts with the Yud and Yitzchak, Yud is the number 10. More than that, he says, he was born, if you take a look at his life, you will see, he was born in a year that was at the beginning of a decade, Hebrew and, and secular, beginning of a decade. Previous Rebbe was born in, when was he born? He was born, he became Rebbe in 1880. So in 1880, makes sense, 1920, um, no, he was 30 years. No, in 18, let me see, when was he born? One second, 18, not 1880. 70 years old in 1950. So go back 70 years. 1880. So he's born in 1880. 
So that was a, a year with a on a 10, meaning on the 10. He became Rebbe 30 years later. No, I'm sorry. He became Rebbe 40 years later when he was 40 years old. His father passed away. He became a Rebbe in 1920. So again, on a 10. Then he had three segments in his, and he passes away in 1950, which is also a 10. So you see his entire life is perfectly aligned with number 10. He has a life of 10, 10, 10, and 10. Now, more than that. He has three periods in his lifetime. 10 of them in which he's battling the, the communists in Russia. And he was living under the, 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 the wicked regime of the, the, the USSR. Which, and he was fighting ferociously like a lion to break the, them and allow Judaism to flourish at least underground in Russia. And he almost paid with it for with his life. Then he lived in Poland for 10 years and he spread Hasidic to the greater Jewish world, Hasidism. And then in 1950, he came to the United States of America, sorry, 1940, and he spent his last 10 years in America. So his leadership was exactly three sets of 10, 10, and 10. Then he passes away on 1950, which day of the month he passed away on the 10th day. So the Rebbe says, everything about my father-in-law is number 10. And he says, you want to know something really cool? If you look at my father-in-law's signature, you see that in the last months, the last year primarily, leading up to his passing, when he signed his name, I don't remember if it was the first letter, the first, the, the one of the Yuds, I'm not sure if it's the one from Yosef or the one from Yitzhak, one of the Yuds, he draws it in his signature as if he's drawing it in a Sefetar. It's really interesting. And it becomes more and more and more highlighted the closer he's getting to his passing. The last few letters, it's amazing. It's like such a clear so for you. So why is he highlighting Yud? The Rebbe says this is the idea. The completion of the world is when we perfect everything from number 10. His life was to bring about the completion of number 10. That's why as he was nearing the end of his life, what was he saying? He said, his message to the world was, we're ready already. We finished everything, he said. We finished all the work. And the previous Rebbe proclaimed, in 1950 or in the 1940s during during the war he said we finished everything the only thing that's left for us is to polish the buttons like the suit you you finish your your, your you know the soldiers which would get dressed uh for a parade the last thing they needed to do to be spick and span was to polish the buttons the only meaning he was saying that the, the the work as a whole for the humanity to work it's just little details that are left over we just have to put in the last feather in the hat but everything is ready for the party to stop. Why? Because it was his work to complete him. He is bringing, he as the leader of a generation, is bringing the world to its stage, stage, state of completion. But the completed state is not the completion of number 10. It's the introduction of number 11. That's why the Rebbe says an amazing thing. My father-in-law passed away on the 10th day Yud Shvat, 
the tenth day, but it was on the eleventh month. He didn't pass away on the tenth day of the tenth month. He passed away on the tenth day of the eleventh month. Why? Because the significance over here in number ten is not ten. The significance of number ten is that ten should become a vessel for number eleven. So therefore, it's almost like he drops his suitcase. The previous rabbi drops the the the. Oh, not no. Put it this way. Let me put it in not with suitcase. <laughs> Better. He steps out of the driver's seat, moves on over to the passenger seat, and welcomes in a new driver. But on which station does he stop? He stops at station number eleven, because the previous rabbi brought it to the point of 10 is completed and now number 11 takes over now the rebbe starts talking about himself and the rebbe says again he doesn't say me you won't see him use the words me but he's talking about all these dates and he's talking about the birth of the one who's born on the 11th day who's that the rebbe's talking about his own birthday the rebbe's birthday is the 11th day of the month of nisan nisan is the first month of the Jewish calendar, but it's the month of redemption. What's redemption energy? Redemption comes from number 11. Because what's redemption? Redemption is infinite light. As long as we're not experiencing infinity, we're not redeemed. We're still within the constraints and the limitations and the boundaries of the world. The point over here is to reveal the infinite, the boundless. To get to the infinite and the boundless, that's number 11. So the first month of the year, which is the month of redemption, Nisan, but which day? The 11th day of the month of Nisan. Because 11 is the power of Keter. 11 is the power of the crown, the power of the infinite. The infinite light comes in on number 11. It's born in the world on the 11th day of the month of Nisan. But the Rebbe says, which day did the Rebbe officially become the leader of the Jewish people? His father-in-law passed away in 1950. The Rebbe did not become leader until the following year, 1951. Which in the Hebrew calendar... Oh, wait, I forgot something so important. It's not just 1950. In the Hebrew calendar, the, the day the previous Rebbe passed away, let's go back to the previous Rebbe, who's number 10. Which year was it? It was in the year 5710. So it was actually 10. On the 10th day so there is 10 of 10 the only thing is that in terms of months it was the 11th month because he's making room month has to do with chidush chidush means new light he is now making room for the next leader the leader of number 11. when does the rebbe the rebbe himself become again if i would be saying this you can say rabbi the nice things but you know, who says? I'm telling you what the Rebbe himself said about his leadership and about what's going on. So the Rebbe goes on and he says, take note, his predecessor, the next Rebbe, who was born on the 11th day of Nisan, becomes officially assumes after refusing the Hasidim for an entire year, crying and refusing and rejecting and not wanting to accept it. Simply, it looked like after a year he caves in. Which year is that? The year 5711. Which day, which month? On the 11th month. Which 
which now when the Rebbe became Rebbe, it was the night going to the eleventh day. It was the end of the yard sign. Then at the end of the day, the night going to the eleventh. So it's the eleventh day, the eleventh month, and the year number eleven when the Rebbe becomes Rebbe. Now anybody who has just a little bit of eyes and looks around the world can say one thing about Chabad, about the Rebbe, is one thing. If I needed to coin, if I needed to capture the Rebbe with one word, I would say the Rebbe, the word that most captures the Rebbe, is the Hebrew word of Ufaratsta. Ufaratsta means you will burst through, you will burst open. It says it regarding when uh, Peretz, the son of Yehuda, who is the father of Mashiach, what does it say about Peretz? That he was born Peretz. Peretz means the one who breaks, breaks open. So Peratzta means to break boundaries. If there's anybody who ever broke boundaries, the Lubavitcher Rebbe broke the boundaries. Which boundaries? Throughout all of history, Judaism always kept itself to its own little private little coin. There were these small enclaves of holiness. Wherever Jews were, they created a little insular circle, a little ghetto, and over there they kept, they hovered amongst themselves. And those who fell away, fell away. And the best thing we could do was kind of create powerful def deep defensive um, 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 walls to protect from non-Jewish influences. Jews were very much huddled in defense and kind of didn't felt that it's not their job to, to, to teach the world, to speak to the world. But even within simply locations, there were these hubs, these little pockets of Jewish, of, of Judaism, of Torah. The Rebbe said, no more pockets. God does not belong anymore in a little, in a little constricted container. God now needs to come everywhere across the entire world. The Rebbe swung his hand and he said, Ufaratsta. And that swing of his hand is what sent out first tens and then hundreds and then thousands, and then it's unbelievable. An explosion of Judaism on every continent, every city, villages, places, the most far-flung corners of the world. It's hard to be able to go somewhere where there's no Chabad. There will always be, you can again in close proximity, a place, if you want something Jewish, you're looking for it, there's a place to go. This was unheard of. Now, what it really is, it's an Ufaratzta energy. The Ufaratzta energy means it's an infinite energy. And it was the world we couldn't, it's not like no one forever was so bright. <laughs> what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm suggesting based on the talk, it's not that the Rebbe was a smart man. He's a great. Judaism never had that energy. The power to do that didn't exist in the cosmos. Someone need to unplug a new outlet, a new flow to open up a channel to a flow of boundless, infinite light. God, un God until now was coming into the world in restricted mode. God did not open up yet and reveal himself without constrictions, without limitations. That's the Kiddush, that's the novelty of the Rebbe. Ufaratsta, everywhere. And there's no, there isn't such a thing as a person who's not ready. The Rebbe wouldn't have that. A person is not ready to put on tefillin. A person is too low. A person is too dark. He does too many sins. No such a thing. Every single person could connect to God. And the Rebbe said, you're finished with the Jews. Start chasing the non-Jews as well. No one ever said that. Jews wouldn't, 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 wouldn't go there. 
And really, hypothetically, the world is too small for Chabad. In other words, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of young couples who want to go to places. They just don't have where to go because all places are taken already. Now, obviously, there's so much more work that could be done if we double up and triple up and so on and so on, especially to start working with the non-Jews. That's where the real work is, messianic light. But that's really the point. God has to be able to come everywhere into every place. That's infinity. And that's the energy of number 11. The power of the boundless. The power that there is no place, there is no... And that's why they're ever saying, take a look. If you can see, that's the energy of number 11. In other words, if the Rebbe would have told this to us on the first day he became Rebbe, that I'm number 11, and number 11 is, we would say, mm, okay, pretty, that's, that's taking a lot, but the Rebbe didn't say it then. The Rebbe said it after he proved it. <laughs> after 40 years, in which we're, the whole world is filled with this powerful, amazing, infinite, who ferrats the energy, breaking every boundary and every border. And again, it's growing and growing. Rabbi Brisky told us the story about Macy's, where the Rebbe said in 1970 that I want to be like a chain store. Where people laughed and they said, what are you talking about? You got a chain store. Well, he said, he said Macy's has, not, has 700 stores now. They used to have 900 after COVID. They only have uh, 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 700 stores. Chabad has over 5,000 centers. And I guarantee you that after COVID, there's much more than there was before COVID. It's unstoppable. It's a, it's a force that is... Now, if you saw the shluchis, the, 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 the conference now with all the women, every year it grows bigger and stronger with more momentum, with more energy. It's this infinite power and this infinite light. However, the Rebbe says, in number 11, there is the lower level of the keter, the lower level of the crown, and then there is the higher level of the crown. Because anybody that knows a little Kabbalah knows that in the crown, the lower level of the crown is the crown that's 11, but it's the source of 10. It has somewhat a relationship to number 10. It's not the true essence of number 11. The true power of 11 in its full purity is where 10, where number 11 has no connection at all to number 10. It is so high, it is so infinite, it is so boundless. But he says the interesting thing is, it, it, and therefore it's referring to God himself. Only God's very, very essence that is going to be revealed when Mashiach comes, that's the, that's the deepest truth of number 11. So let's put it this way. Number 10, as it reflects, see, number 10 is also divine. It's also godly. But it's God as God systemizes himself within certain systems, within certain limitations, within certain traits. Number 11 is God's, the lower level of number 11 is God's infinity. His light that has no boundaries, that's infinite, his transcendence. But then there is something even deeper than transcendence. And there is something deeper than infinite light. What's deeper than infinite light? God himself, who is beyond finite and beyond being infinite. And only from God's very essence can we create a perfect fusion of number 10 and number 11. In other words, if only the lower level of number 11 is revealed, then even if 10, even when number 10 experiences this energy of 11, number 10 is uncomfortable with that. It's a little bit beyond it. It senses it. It senses this like energy that it can't really adapt. That it's too big. It's too intense. 
The ability, as I mentioned at the beginning of class, we spoke about this, for 10 to remain totally 10 and be completely settled in itself and at the same time merge with number 11 as number 11 is in its full potency can only come from a power that's even higher than number 11. Only from a power that equalizes finite and infinite can the two get married and be in perfect harmony. The Rebbe says that, and I don't have that much time. I won't, but hopefully we'll have another class on this to explain this deeper. The Rebbe says that's the power of number 22. Two times 11. Two times 11, because it represents the higher level of number 11. And the Rebbe says that dimension we tapped by the passing of my wife. Amazing teaching. Because the deeper level of number 11, which is God's very essence, is only revealed as a result of the work of the women, the Jewish women. Only they can tap so high. So what's the secret of number 22? What's the secret of 22? Besides it's being two times 11. The Rebbe says, let's go back to the Torah. What did we say? The 10 commandments is what? 10. What's 11? 11 is the holiness of the Torah. The spiritual light of the Torah that we don't see, that we don't know, but we know it's there. That's the, what's 22? Which can take the infinite light and connect it to the finite ideas. What's the 22 mean? This is so beautiful. 22 are the letters of the Torah. The Aleph base. He says the letters are much deeper than the concepts. They're much greater than the, the letters themselves. And the letters are much greater than the light, than the infinite light. The letters are the essence of God himself. The holy letters of the Torah. 22 letters. Why? Because 22 spells the word Bach. Bach means in you, or Bachab, in you, in you, in your very essence. So once we start tapping the holy letters of the Torah, which is number 22, it unifies 11, which is this infinite power with the finite world and converges them into perfect unification together. In the last 35 years, the Rebbe says, this energy and this light and this truth is already present, is already active. It's something we can tap. It's something we can connect to because it is already the introduction into the days of Mashiach. What we are waiting right now for is for the complete revelation and realization of it in a very open and real way that we can see it and in a tangible way, but it's really there. So being that uh, we're a little over time and I'm trying to keep the classes now to an hour and 15 minutes, I am going to stop now, but I just wanted to give you a little teaser. There's a lot more to talk on this concept, and I would like to be able to go through where you can actually see these phases. 10 as 10 prepares for number 11, 11 as 11 comes into number 10, but overwhelms number 10. That, that, that's the way it is when they're not perfectly aligned, when they're not perfectly one, where 11 is still overwhelming number 10. And when the higher number of 11 is revealed, which takes 11 and 10 and unifies them together, which is the secret of number 22. So let's hope that Mashiach will be revealed and I don't have to try to explain that in the next class, but this is where we um, arrive to today. May Hashem help with the light of the Holy Rebetzin uh, should bring redemption to the entire world and to each and every one of us. 
And like a mother has compassion on her children, may God have compassion on the world and put an end already to this senseless suffering. And may we see the full and complete redemption tonight.